0: God is moving. What a time we live in. It's been amazing times. You know, about uh, six months ago or so, well, actually more than that, seven, right back around September, uh, life, it's actually, you know, during that time where the the, the spiritual year changes at Rosh Hashanah, it's usually in September. Uh, during that time, I really felt like uh, Things started getting really serious uh, personally and for the world. I started getting this, this, uh, this thought and I started even preaching it. And then Al came in and he started preaching it. God, preached everywhere. Time for shaking. You know, ultimately, there will be a shaking at the end of time. We are ramping it up to that point. When Jesus comes back. It will be noted as the great shaking. There are, But there are things done that leads up to it, and I think we're in the middle of that. Whatever God does in the world, he begins it in his church. So what we're feeling right now, I think, is something that will get more and more intense, but it ultimately will end up in the world, and they'll get the fullness of it. Well, that was back in September. And then just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I had this ridiculous dream. And I talked about it a little bit last week. And I'll just just real quickly tell you again. In this dream, I was it's like I was two people. I was watching it and I was in it at the same time. And so I uh, I was being consumed with fire. I mean, that was the most intense thing. Good Lord. It's like every part of me, body, soul, spirit, everything in me was being touched by that consuming fire. It was not pleasant. And it was no escaping it. There was nothing kept away from it. And, and you know, as I was going through I was going, ah, I, mean, I could feel myself. It's just going, wow, wow, wow. But I knew... That it wasn't the devil. It didn't need to be rebuked, even though there's been some of those kind of dreams here (laughs) lately as well. Dreams have been interesting lately. But this dream was about God. And in the dream itself, I remember thinking, man, this this is like what John said about Jesus, that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then I woke up. And boy, I thought, man, that was heavy stuff. And I didn't want to go back to sleep. You know how it is sometimes. You can go back to sleep and go right back to the same dream. I didn't want no more of that dream. I thought one time's enough. Well, uh, that's what this kind of leads, leads us back to the, the shaking thing. Go with me to Hebrews 12. And, uh, we're reading these scriptures again. The question is, is what does all this mean? For us, what does it portend? What is it pointing toward that's coming, or is already started? Because I, th- I think it is. You know, folks, the world has changed. We are in a completely different time than we were. For both, uh, well, for the last ever, you know, for the last 40 years, we were in what we call a Chronos, a 40-year period of time. Hebrew, uh, Greek word Chronos. But we have entered into it. And I would say it's the chronos of the return of Jesus, and so things have changed, and you can you can feel the change. So, when you talk about stuff like that, you you enter into the, into these scriptures, Hebrews twelve, verse twenty five, says, "See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who, ref, who, if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, that's back in the days of Moses." Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. God is speaking now in new things from heaven to all kinds of people. It's like we're getting new revelation. It's crazy. Verse 25, 6. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has a promise, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken. As of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Now, just stop for a second. The process that we are going through that will end in this tremendous shaking is literally transferring to us the kingdoms. The Bible says at the end, the kingdoms of the world... Have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and we shall reign with Him. There's lot scripture lots of scriptures to that effect. I just sort of paraphrase a bunch of them together. But the kingdoms are being transferred to the Lord, and if you're with Him, you too can sit on the throne next to Him, ruling and reigning. That's what He promises, all through the Book of Revelation. So since that's what's happening, the shaking is literally taking away things in life, your life, that shouldn't be there. They should not be there. So that the things which God has put in your life will remain. And they'll be the only thing left. Okay, so since that's going on, and it has been going on for quite a while. It'll get real, real personal. Since that's going on, here's what he tells us to do in the middle of verse 28. Let us have grace... By which we may serve God acceptably, you ought to underline that word, acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. That's what you're approaching, this consuming fire. So if that's the truth, then our our service to him needs to be acceptable to him. And part of that being acceptable to him is with reverence and godly fear. Now, isn't that interesting? With reverence and godly fear. Because if I could come up with a a phrase that describes the way a wife is supposed to treat her husband, it's right there. Right? Husbands are supposed to love their wives like Christ does. What's a wife supposed to do? Respect him. So, the... What? And the closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more and more important it becomes that you, as the bride of Christ, begin to act like his wife. Treat him acceptably with godly fear. With reverence. You get it? We're starting to model it down here. So that when he sees that, he's, he's going to tell Father, I can't stand it anymore. Send me to go get them. That's coming. But we start here. And it's being worked on. In places, right? Like bail places. It's going on. God's a consuming fire. So it is happening. And I'll tell you the shaking and the baptism of fire goes together. Because God is a consuming fire. It's gonna happen. Now last week, turn with me, we we talked about this baptism. Matthew three. This is where we first see it. This is what came in my dream. Was Matthew 3. It's when John the Baptist came. Now let me just say this before we read these scriptures. John the Baptist, according to Jesus' own words, was Elijah that is to come. In other words, uh, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which is His second coming, He will send Elijah. Who will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest he come and strike the earth with with a curse. So, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which is his second coming, there still will be a work of Elijah that precedes it. When he came the first time, there was also a work of Elijah, John the Baptist. I can prove that by Jesus' own words. He said, if you can receive it, John is Elijah. So we're talking about how the Spirit moves. There's a, there is a, a work of, of Elijah and the Spirit that comes before Jesus does his thing. The first time he came, the Elijah thing came. The second time he comes, the Elijah thing will happen. So let's go look at what happened when John the Baptist did his Elijah work. You can, you can expect similar things. Okay, You could expect it, because that's what he does. That's his ministry, is to turn people, turn people to the Lord, repent. So, when John the Baptist came and he began his ministry, he began to preach chapter 3 of Matthew. Uh, let's pick it up, verse 7. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, "Root of vipers. Who warns you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Therefore bring forth uh, fruits worthy of repentance. So the work of John the Baptist is to call the, the people into repentance. Now, there's a great move of the Spirit coming, folks. It is just about to explode upon the entire earth, calling all people to repent. Why? Because the wrath of God is coming. That should make you want to change. If you really believe that, you quit playing games. There'll be no more game playing. If you really thought that the wrath of God is coming, you get it right. And that sort of thing will cause revival. And did you know that at the end of time, right as his coming is being ramped up, there will be a great revival. It's been prophesied a million times by various people. A great harvest. The great revival. A few months ago we, we uh, played a, a, a text, from, I mean a, a video from a, a prophet from Kansas. And he prophesied that in the year 2000 there will be a great revival. And a billion people will be saved. Mostly young people. I'm telling you, we need it. But the wrath, you can sense it coming. It's coming. All right? So, in a time like that, which we are in right now, just keep on reading. He's telling these people, who told you Pharisees and Sadducees to flee? Everybody's getting the message. Therefore, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Verse 10. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, Every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Well, there's a kind of a multiple thing going on here with the baptism of Jesus. It includes the work of the Spirit laying an axe to the root of your life. And what happens in that time, folks, is whatever you really are doing, not pretending to do, but really are doing, is fixed to be revealed. Did you know you can get away with stuff for a long time? You can. You can shine it on. You know, you really can. You go to church for 20 years and nobody knows you're not even a Christian. You can. You You know anybody like that? Well, let me ask you this much. Do you know people who proclaim to be Christians in Andrews who you really wonder if they are Christians? Three yes and one no. We're fixing to find out. Because the axe is going to be laid to the root of the tree, and the truth of the fruit is fixed to be revealed. It's coming. And the fire of God is coming. And we will find out more today what that does. But we know this. Jesus is the one that does it. He brings the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, he himself will go through everything that he asks us to go through. So look at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. So John baptizes Jesus in the the river Jordan. All right? And verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So did Jesus receive the Holy Spirit? Was he baptized in the Holy Spirit? Water? Here comes Holy Spirit. What about fire? Hmm. Look over at Matthew 20. I'm sorry, wrong scripture. Look over at Luke 12. <clears throat> Luke 12. Now, timing matters here. The scriptures we're about to read to you, timing matters. So I'm going to kind of give you a chronology, a time stamp here. This is the last year of Jesus' life. In fact, you know, he, he died at what we would call Easter during that time frame. That's in April. What we're about to read here is in January or February. It's in the winter before Easter. Okay. And so here he reads in Luke 12, verse 49, he's headed toward Jerusalem, and he says in verse 49, he says, I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. In other words, it hadn't happened yet. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. What does that imply to you? It hadn't happened yet. Right? I wish it was over. How stressed I am until that baptism is done. It's futuristic. And then he keeps on talking. Verse 51. Here comes the, the uh, results of fire. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on this earth? I tell you, not at all. But Division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two, two against three. Father will be divided against son, son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So the effect of the fire is to divide. And again, this is one of those great paradoxes that happen in the Bible. Because here he is, Jesus, talking about, I'm about to send the fire, and this is what it's going to do. It's going to go out there, all these people that proclaim my name, and it's going to just split them. And at the same time, he's praying to John 17, oh, God, I would that they would be one, even as you and I are one. Is he confused? No. What he's doing, he's determined who those are that would become one. Versus those who won't. Because there is that. As a matter of fact, at the end of time, before he comes back, there will be a huge division. It's called the great apostasy. The Antichrist will not be revealed until this great falling away takes place. And Jesus is sort of pointing toward that in a way. Alright? He's pointing toward that. Well, we know that when he got baptized into Jordan and the Holy Spirit came down, there was something still to be done as concerning baptism. Because he said, I wish it was over. I'm distressed until this is accomplished. Now look at Matthew 20. Now we're going forward in time. That was like January, February when he just said what we read. Now we are right before Easter. We're in April. We're right about, you know, now. Real close to now. In our year. And he read, he says this. Verse 21. Let's start in 20. The mother of Zebedee's son, that's James and John, came to Jesus with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. And then he asked this question, and this is something you should really focus on. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. What happened? In three months period, we went from Jesus and there's a baptism. I'm fixed to hit the fire. How I'm distressed until that's accomplished. Until now, he's asking his disciples, can you take that baptism on? Amen. Now he's saying still, There's still the cup thing. It's still in front of me. And that cup is the death that he's about to go through. Don't you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he went to pray at the very last minute? God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And nevertheless, your will be done. So that cup was still out there. But the baptism, something had changed. From how distressed I am until it's accomplished, until he says I've got the baptism now. Are you able to take it? And the answer is, I don't know. But the response or the request is to you. It's to the disciples for sure. Those who will. And they answered him. We are able. That sound like somebody from this church. I mean, seriously. I don't even think about it. I just say yes. Amen. <laughs> there we go. So 23 says, so he said to them, so you will, you will indeed drink my cup and every one of those guys got murdered later in life. You will drink my cup and you will be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand on my left is not mine to give. All right. So here we have it. What happened in that time frame, folks? Something happened. Do we have any? Any scriptures? Were they, you know, pulled over to the side and said, okay, here comes fire. What happened? Well, we sort of have to glean it from other scriptures, both New Testament and Old Testament, to see what did happen. Look, look back over to Luke 9. Now, Luke 9 is actually preceding the two verses that we just read. You know, we read in that Uh, In the wintertime, he was still struggling with the fact that he has a baptism. Two or three months later, it had happened. Now, I'm going to take you back in time a little further to the last time he was at Jerusalem, when they had the Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of Tabernacles in that time frame. Okay, September. This is the last time in Jerusalem before he comes back to be crucified. So there he's saying this, Luke 9, verse 51. Now, it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's an interesting verse. I gave you the time frame. Now, we know that three or four months later, he's still struggling with the fact that something's coming down. But right here, it says he made a decision right here. I'm going to go on in to Jerusalem. Because it's time for me to fulfill my destiny. Meet his fate. Be received up. Which is what he ended up doing, of course. Now, what he's doing in this scripture is fulfilling a prophecy. All through the Bible, folks, there's prophecy concerning the things that will happen about Jesus. His, God's people will, will struggle with these things in their own lives. And it's showing what Jesus is going to fulfill. One of those is in the book of Isaiah. Turn there. Isaiah 50. Isaiah 50. He steadfastly set his face. To go to Jerusalem. Isaiah 50. Verse 7. This is about. About. The Messiah, Jesus. And he's actually speaking here. Verse 7. The Lord God, he says, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. So right here is the prophetic thing about Jesus doing what we read in Luke. There came a moment where he set his face like a flint to go on in. Now, notice if you would, that this verse twice says, therefore, or for, therefore. When you see that word, always look up. Look prior to that, because you're going to find out why therefore is there. Why did he say, I'm setting my face like a flint? Verse 4. The Lord God has given me, capital M-E, Jesus, the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. uh uh-oh. Why would you be rebellious? Maybe what you're about to hear doesn't quite fit your definition of eschatology. You know what I mean? Maybe this wasn't your plan for life. I was not rebellious. Nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not face, hide my face from shame And spitting. Folks, this was like a revelation to Jesus what he was going to face. It wasn't just the fact that he was going to die, it was this stuff too. You know, there's a point in life that the revelation of what you are truly called to do becomes very real. And imminent. Like it's now. The reality of it. Is upon us. And it ain't no. It ain't no game. I see the men here who have a beard. How many men have a beard? Or you wish you did? Yeah sure. You ever get let your wife. Trim it. Absolutely. Why not? That's right. Why? She plucks out stuff that she thinks that should not be there. Are you serious? Don't touch the face. This is not an eyebrow that you pluck. It's a beard, ladies. It don't feel the same. You pluck one of those dudes out. that hurts. Listen to this. I'm going to pray that God give you some testosterone and grow a beard and then I'll pluck that sucker right out of there. Woo, man, that feels like something else. Yeah, yeah, like a nose hair. Oh, that feels good. And so he said, I didn't, I didn't stop them from doing that because they did that. And how many men in here like to be spit in their face? You want to get me mad? That is like fighting words. I was not rebellious. See, the reality and the fullness of the reality is being revealed. And, I mean, it is time to choose. Are you really in it? Or have you been playing a game? Now, see, I think that during this time when Jesus set his face like a flake, we read it. In Isaiah, we read it in Luke, that from that time forward, he began to fulfill the rest of this verse. I began to hear what they're going to do to me. And I was not rebellious. And I went anyway. And folks, that, that is the fire. Where you go, wow. I don't want that. But I'm called to it. And that's what I'm going to do. My will is going to bow down now. It becomes real. And you can expect your will from this point forward to be shaken, revealed. We were laughing in we were sort of laughing in Sunday school. Things happen in Sunday school. I'm just praising God that we survive it. But the the thing we were laughing at, you know, everybody says, oh, yeah, I I submit. Sure you do, until you don't agree with the one that you're supposed to submit to. Right? That's when you have an issue. Oh, I'm submissive. Well, let me tell you something that you don't agree with. And you be right and I be wrong, but I'm the one in authority. Now we're going to find out if you're really submissive. Amen? Anybody can submit when you agree. Let's try a little disagreement. This is called marriage. (laughs) No amen for the men out there. You wusses. But everybody can say, yeah, I'll do God's will. Until you don't like it. And he's going to keep on training you. Until you set your face like a flint. And I, I, yeah, I don't want this baptism. It's distressing me. I want it to be over. But as soon as you cross some line, it will be over. How do you know it's over? That's the good question. How do you know that I did it? Well, to me, what this really is, this whole process of the baptism of fire, And the Holy Spirit is revealing to myself what's in me. What is my root? What's my go-to belief? And it becomes an offering from me to God. Now, I said that Jesus won't cause you to do anything that he himself has not already done. Look over at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10. This kind of goes along. You know, he said his face. Okay, I'm going to do it. We know that Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. That much he knew. He kept telling his disciples, I want to go up to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. He knew he was coming to that. And yeah, folks, as long as it's a long ways off into the future, it's not really a threat to me. But when it's in my door, (laughs) even Jesus begged God to stop it. Did he not? Drops of blood, sweat came off his face as he was begging God. Don't do this. So it's pretty intense. What did you say? <laughs> that dream was like that. <laughs> there was nothing that could escape it. Hebrews 10, verse 5. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I have come to do your will, O God. Hmm. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So that baptism of fire was Jesus deciding, I'm going to give myself as an offering for you. I'm going to make my sacrifice to God for you. And then he asked his disciples, are you able to have the baptism that I'm baptized with? Are you? And they said yes. And he said, you will. If you will. Say, so if you will, really. Because you don't have to. It's a free will offering. so I choose to do that. Romans 12. Turn there. We know that Paul, even though he wasn't among that first twelve, had the same message sent to him. At the end of his life, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. I'm already, my life is, is, is fixed to be sacrificed with death for you, for the body. Verse 12, and Paul writes this, chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, there it is again, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right. I have to make the offering before I really understand what the will of God is. I have to go first, and say yes to Him. Well, to me, we are there. Will you finish it? I'm tell you this much: the fire's coming, either way. Look over, while we're over here. Just look over at First. I think it's First Corinthians. First Corinthians 3. I'm, I'm already seeing this, folks. I'm not pulling this out of the air. I'm starting to see this already. It's kind of scary. makes you wonder. First Corinthians th- uh, 3, Paul, again writing, verse 11 says, no, no foundation can be laid other than that which is laid, and that's Jesus Christ. In other words, you can't live your life in a, in a different way than what Jesus has shown that you should. You can try, but it won't work. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, in other words, what you do with your life is fixed to be tested. He laid a foundation for who you are when, he, when you let him be your Lord and Savior. When you accepted Jesus as your Lord, you became a new creature with a new foundation. Now, what you do with that salvation is on you. What Jesus did in giving himself up for you, that was free. But from that point forward, it's on you. And so he talks about what you do. Twelve, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, that's one group, things that can stand fire. And the other, wood, hay, straw. Put fire on them, and see what you get. But they're all called works. Each one's work will become clear for the day, capital D, that's the, the return of the Lord. The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. It's ax to the root. What sort of works do you really have? If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. Now this is an interesting scripture. I think primarily what I'm talking about with people that, that I see, it's not. this is not a salvation issue. The things that God is revealing is not a salvation issue, whether you're saved or not saved. It's how much fruit will you have. Now if you are satisfied with the, the, the reward of the thief on the cross, so be it. You know, you can choose that. His reward was was very clear. Today you will be with me in paradise. But that was it. He lived his life to the point where he deserved death. So there was no good works there. He had one last good work. And he got the lucky shot in. If you want to live your life like that, you will be saved. But everything you've done will be burned up. There must be rewards in heaven that are different according to what you do down here. Scriptures kind of imply that all over the place. Here's one of them. All right? If you want the great rewards that are in heaven, gold, silver, precious things, then you will have those, but it will be tested by fire. Now, we keep saying you need to serve God, especially as we close in on the end, acceptably. I made a point of say that. Every time. Acceptably. What does that mean? Let's go back to the first sacrifice ever given. Because what we're asking you to do is to sacrifice your life to the Lord. Let's go to the first sacrifice ever given. Go back to Genesis 4. Genesis 4. We know about Adam and Eve. They sin, but they start a family. First one was Cain. The second one was Abel. Verse 3. Here's the first offering, sacrifice, ever offered to God. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also... Brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. All right, so let's talk about what is going on here. See, everybody can offer, and it can even look close to the same, folks. I mean, it's amazing. Because what do we offer today? I mean, the thing we offer the most every week is money. Is my money different than the guy down the street? You know, I mean, what's you know, there's something going on in here. It's how God looks at it, because see, God is looking in a heart to see what is really transpiring here. Let's first look at the word offering itself. The word is the Hebrew word minkah, minkah. It means a gift, uh, even a tribute. To say a king or a ruler. So you're, you're, you're acknowledging one greater than you is in the house. All right. You're making an offering to him. But even more so, it means a sacrifice which is denoting true submission. Uh oh. Did we talk about submission a while ago? It's a sacrifice which denotes true submission. With everything in your life, not just one thing or two or three. And let's not talk about money, though. Oh no, we're not. You know, it's my money. Sure it is. And you can you can sow as much as you want into the body of Christ, into the kingdom of God. He lets you. Just know this: if you sow sparingly. Then you will also reap sparingly. If you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. And the fire will determine every man's work. And you can try to hide it. I see people try to hide it. In all kinds of ways. You can hide it by on your check. We had this in this church. You know, you know, what is a tithe? Anybody know what the word tithe actually means? One tenth. That used to really violate my will. I remember the first time I read that in the Strongest Course, I thought, well, they just put that in there so they can get ten (laughs) percent. So, it is ten percent. And the Bible says in Malachi, you rob God. How? In tithes, ten percent. Uh oh. There's more? And offerings. That would indicate there's more than 10%. Correct? And so we had great teaching on that during this time. This is like 30 years ago or or longer. Great teaching on what it really is. Quit playing games. Well, is it just, just the net, right, brother? Whatever. So sparingly, I could give a rip. God knows. Quit being legalistic with God. You idiot. Oh, excuse me. Didn't mean to say that. So, let's just say you had a, you made a thousand bucks. What's the time of that? God, you're brilliant. Okay, hundred dollars. So I have seen people take a check and write it for a hundred dollars. And then in the memo line, they put tithe, seventy. Offering, thirty. That means a hundred dollars. Hey, that's right, negative. You just cheated yourself. And you robbed God. But you can play that game. How would they know? Well, they can look at your life. You got a new BMW out there, and, and you're playing, you know, lowball with God. Or you could do it another way cash. Who knows? Don't put a name on it. Who knew? Do you see the games we play? As if God doesn't see it all. And what He's looking for is a minka, a life that is totally submitted to him, not just in money, but in the way you treat your wife. Woohoo <laughs> Or your husband, or your brother? Can I go on? True submission in totality. That's a minkah. And so he has two guys regular that for them. Okay? Two of them. One is accepted. God had respect on that thing. What's that word? Respect. It means he looked at it with keenness, earnestness, to the point of glaring look at it. It literally ignites a fire if it's acceptable to him. Offer myself as a reasonable sacrifice. Acceptable unto God. If my heart is really right in the thing, you know what's going to happen? Whoosh! The fire comes because that's how God proved to the people that he accepted their sacrifice. He set down fire and it consumed the thing that everybody knew that that was God. One guy's offering got accepted, and the other one didn't. Isn't that interesting? Who knew? And then God tells Cain, keep reading. He said, Cain, what's up with you? Why are you so angry? Which he was. Verse 5, very angry. And the Lord said to Cain, you're angry. Why is your fountains fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is lying at your door. And its desire is to have you. But you must rule over it. Now, folks, God is sending forth situations. We talked about it at church at Sunday school. He is teeing it up. To see, to show to you with His axe going to your root, what is going on in you? What's really happening in you? And the thing that keeps you from doing what you know the Bible says. Let's quit playing games. You know what it says. And yet you might to find a way not to do it. Why? That's your sin. And the fire is on oh, the other brother's offering is showing to you. Something wrong here, and you have to rule over that. Well, I'm, you know, I got problems. Well, don't we all? Life is a sad song. But God. Amen? Now, did Cain get it? No, he got madder. So he killed Abel. He killed his brother. So at the beginning of time in the first family, as we try to approach God with acceptable offerings, one brother kills the other. And so it will be at the end. Did y'all hear that? And so it will be at the end. As we close in on the return of Christ and this baptism of the spirit and fire, there's going to be a segment of the body of Christ. It ain't very big. That's going to be offering up reasonable sacrifices and he's going to just say, fire down on that faith. And you will be in the middle of it. But the other ones are going to watch what's going on with you. And instead of admitting the fact that they got an issue that they need to deal with, they're going to persecute you. Persecution is coming. The wrath of man is coming against the true Christians. It's going to come first from the church. And then as their division begins to take place, and there really is a a difference in how these certain people are being treated by God versus others, these others are going to get mad. And they're going to come at you. And that doesn't have anything to do with what the world's going to do. But they too will not like you. They don't like us right now. It's going, folks, the division is coming. The axe is there. So it's time to get real. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Did anybody understand a word I said? Did you understand every word I said? You should listen to this again if you didn't. Because the warning is out there. Just like it was from John the Baptist. Who warned you to flee from the wrath that is coming? You should be fleeing. Well, hallelujah. Thanks for coming. Amen? I told you I'm going to get real. I mean it. And the crowds will shrink. Hallelujah. <laughs> Justin, you might have to ask you a question real quick. What? You don't have to answer it, but do, do you mind telling them what you told me here a week or two ago, That how God asked you a question when you were younger? Would you be willing to die for him? That's the one. Yeah. You want me to ask that? To that? Just tell them. Did, what did, did God actually ask you that question? Uh, yeah. How old were you? And you said yes, of course. I jump in feet first. <laughs> and now you're wishing. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing I'm so dumb. Because then you can fix it, right? Amen. Amen. But man, just to use it, I, mean, I don't want to go too far into it. But Did you hear that? His generation knows that that's what they're called to this. They know it. They know it. Somewhere in them. I've seen this before. They know it's in there. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, so that you can prove what is His will for you. If that is in your Psalm 139, written before there was a foundation of the earth, all the days written for you. If that was in your Jeremiah 29, 11 plan, even murdered them, like it was Jesus' disciples, it's in you. Y'all get that? It's in you. And it's an itch you can't scratch except with truth. Amen. So let's just deal with truth. Amen. Father, I just pray for these people. Oh, God, would you save us from ourselves and deliver us into your presence? I know you've been telling us again and again through many ways, come close to me. Well, you're in a consuming fire. But you promised it would not kindle upon us. To the enemies, destruction. To your people, purity. Purity. Oh, God, make us a pure people. Make us jewels like you called us to be. And let us hear your call and grow up. And become what you called us to be. For your own glory. Would you do this, O oh God? And for those of us, among us, that say yes to that, I pray for them. Strengthen them with grace. That they may serve you this way. And to those who don't know yet. I pray for them. O oh God, that you would send your word to divide the hearts And the intents of the heart. That they may see the truth. And those that won't. I give them over to you, Lord. Do what you must. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight is six. More stuff.